Ever have one of those seasons in life where it seems everything is just going wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe right now, in fact. Uh, well, you know, even when there's a little bit of a let up sometimes, you see the light at the end of the tunnel and it turns out to be an oncoming train. So it seems like the story of the Apostle Paul, that that's really one hardship after another just happens to come his way. He's a good man. He's called by God. He's doing what God has told him to do. He's proclaiming the gospel. It's something that he's good at doing. It's something he was born to do. But the problem is, is that many unbelievers don't like to hear God's good news. They see it as bad news, a threat to their autonomy. They can't, they can't live life as they would without having a Lord and moral accountability. And so there's a pushback in the form of painful persecution. It's something that we all know about. But now three decades of that persecution angry mobs, assassination uh, plots. And here now, at the end of chapter 26, where we left off, all this persecution has culminated with a two-year-long court battle, which he's been incarcerated from the start to the finish here. Uh, during those two years, he had three criminal investigations, but the all of our troubles, and remember this, always have a silver lining to them, a redemptive purpose, because through Paul's troubles, he's brought the gospel to needy people, to important dignitaries, just like God wanted. God loves everybody and wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And so Paul's been able to share that amazing testimony, his life story of how God turned a Christian killer into a Christian preacher and a lover of Christ, showing evidence that really Christ did rise from the dead and he's alive and well and in the business of saving lives and transforming us as well. And so we pick up now here in chapter 27, Paul has just given his testimony to an auditorium. There was a king present, King Agrippa, as well as many others. Uh, it was a, just packed with government officials. Uh, and he gave his testimony and shared the gospel. And uh, as many of you know, he used his Roman right as a citizen uh, to appeal to a higher court and to be heard by Caesar. Uh, which saved him from the assassination plot of the Jewish leader. So things are looking up, and uh, he is off to Rome now to share the gospel with Nero because the Lord has given him a heads up and a vision that that is God's will for his life, that he stand before the emperor and share the love of Christ. My goodness, wow. Well, so things are looking up, right? Uh, but as the saying goes, he sees a light at the end of the tunnel. But here in chapter 27, we find out it's an, un, it's an oncoming train. So chapter 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we, Luke is speaking, so Luke is on board, I'll explain that. We would sail for Italy. Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, 
who belonged to the imperial regiment. So he is uh, really an important person. Uh, we boarded a ship from Andromidium and about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia is the coast of, of modern-day Turkey. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, uh, was with us. So let's pause there, get situated, because we get introduced to everybody, the, the major characters in the story here. So this sailing for Italy. Now, I hope none of you uh, get seasick, because we're in for quite a ride, as most of you already know. So the tickets are purchased. And interestingly, uh, the church didn't have to raise funds, and it's interesting to me in Romans chapter 1, Paul tells the Romans, I've always wanted to come and minister there to your church in Rome, and I'm constantly praying that God would open a door of opportunity and bring me there. Well, little did he know that he would come as a prisoner. And, and this is how God usually works. He takes the desire of our heart and his good plan, and he works them together. So Paul is going to get what he wants, and God is going to get what he desires, that many people hear the gospel to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. That's how he works in our hearts and lives. And so right from the jump here, I just want to tell you, it's one of the longer chapters in the book of Acts. Commentators are quick to point out the unusual amount of detail given to uh, being caught in a life-threatening storm. And if you love the ocean or storms or boats, you're going to love this chapter. Why such dramatic and graphic detail with this ill-fated voyage? Well, uh, God doesn't just want to entertain us. He has something to teach us here to encourage us with life-changing truth. The passage is loaded, as I've been saying, uh, with rich applications. And God, this is how God is in the Bible. The thing actually happened, but he's preaching a sermon through the thing. So when the children of Israel crossed through the Red Sea, uh, Paul tells us he's really preaching a story about Christian baptism. And when the manna comes down, the manna really did come down, but he's preaching about the bread of heaven, Jesus, who comes down. And so these are historical events that also double as a sermon illustration to show us more about who God is, how much he loves us, our purpose in life, and here, our purpose in the storm. So a couple ways to think about this passage that will crack it open for us to get the goodness out of is where is God when the wind is howling and the waves are crashing in around us and all hope seems lost because that's what's coming. Where is he? What's he doing? And how should people of faith conduct themselves when their skies grow dark and gray and they don't know where they're going and they're lost and they're being dragged out to an open sea turned upside down? How are we to behave? What should we be thinking? What are our attitudes? The answers are all right here in the chapter of the storm. And so... Uh, if you're in a storm right now, take good notes. Oh my goodness, you'll be encouraged. If you're not in a storm right now, take good notes. You know why? <laughs> because a storm is coming your way. What did Jesus say? He said, 
listen, I'm writing to you these things. I'm speaking to you these things that in me you can have peace because in the world you're going to have great tribulation, i.e., storms are going to come and go, right? But be of good cheer. Take heart because I've overcome the world. The implication is you're with me. And if I overcome the world, guess what? So do you. So let's take a look at this, get to know who's on the boat. Paul has two attendants. Two Christians are with him. Luke, who is the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, he's the most prolific writer of the New Testament. He is a Gentile. That's amazing. And so too, and check this out, Aristarchus got saved when, uh, during the second missionary journey in Thessalonica. He's also a Gentile, non-Jewish person. Paul has two Greeks. He is a Roman citizen. He is not, he's been acquitted by Festus, Felix, and Agrippa. Three hearings. He's not been uh, convicted, and he's a Roman citizen. So he has rights and perks. And one of, this, one of them is to have servants. And he can say, I need my servant, Luke, as a personal physician. The writers say that Paul struggled with eye problems and all, all kinds of maladies because of how the persecution. He was beaten half of his life. And uh, so he has Luke aboard, and he has another Greek man. Why not the Jewish brothers? Well, because it's a Greek world, and there was, surprise, anti-Semitism back in the day. So it's perfect that he has these two Greek gentlemen, brothers in the Lord. And what an amazing gift from God that when we are in chains, bound, dragged off, powerless, he will bring a gift of a brother or sister who has a special love and a special calling for you to come along and walk and serve and help and encourage you. Oh, to have a friend like that when you're in chains. A more noble thought. Oh, to be a friend like that. Amen. Now we've got the name of the centurion. A centurion was a Roman soldier in charge of a century, a hundred men. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, there are seven centurions mentioned, and all of them favorably. That's amazing. It would be a nice study. Look it up. It is pretty cool. G. G Campbell Morgan, great theologian, uh, said, in all seven centurions in the New Testament, there's something to admire, in some of them much to admire, and in one of them, everything to admire. And of course, he's talking about the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus says, okay, okay, I'll come and heal your servant. I'm sorry he's hurting and he's on the brink of death. I'll come to your house, Mr. Centurion, and I'll heal him. And the centurion says, oh, you don't need to come. Just say the word. Why bother? I mean, I know how authority works. I, I myself am under authority. I get a command, I do it. And you obviously are the commander-in-chief. Give the word. Boom. Done. And Jesus said, wow. He said, I haven't found this kind of faith in my own nation of Israel. So yeah, you know what it is? It's those phones. (laughs) (laughs) The answer to my question is on the line there. Uh, uh, Oh my goodness. (laughs) 
Most military men, they're men of character. They have a strong sense of duty, a high regard for right and wrong, discipline, order. Its values the Bible emphasizes and things that Christians idealize. It's not hard or it's not surprising that a military man loves the gospel or is drawn to the gospel. So he shows unusual kindness, we'll see, uh, to Paul as we move forward. Let's take a look now. The next day we landed at Sidon, modern day Lebanon, so they're going up the coast, first stop. And Julius, in kindness to Paul, unbelievable, allows Paul to go free at the port (laughs) to his friends at Calvary Chapel Sidon there (laughs) so that they might provide for his needs from there. We, Luke writing, wow, put out to sea again and passed along the lee, the, the shelter side is the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us when we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia, And Pamphylia, modern-day Turkey. We landed at Myra, modern-day Turkey, southern shore in Lycia. There, the centurion, Julius, found an Egyptian ship sailing for Italy. Uh, Egypt was the granary for the Roman Empire. And so there was a, a more suitable, larger freighter, a grain freighter. Uh, there at port. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty uh, arriving off Nidus. They throw the sea in just to confuse you. Uh, When the wind did not uh, allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the shelter side, the south of Crete, opposite Salome. Yeah, Salome. Whatever, salami. (laughs) (laughs) It's where we get salami. You didn't know that. First A, we moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Let me attempt to just kind of run it through in your minds on the map. They leave Caesarea there. They go up to Lebanon. They stop where Paul is going to be let free and trusted to return to the ship. More on that to come. And so they're sailing up along the coast of Turkey here, and he passes Cilicia, and he's looking here. This is where he's from. He was born and raised there until he was 12. Then he moved to Jerusalem. And he's also, on the right, he's looking at mom and dad and his siblings maybe and remembering and praying. And on the left, he's looking at the first missionary journey. More on this to come here. Uh, They stopped there with Barnabas and all that went on there. They stopped at Myra to change the, the ship. They get on the bigger ship and they're sailing with difficulty and the wind is blowing them down from Nidus. And now they get to Crete. But they they would have rather gone this way, but the winds forced them to the shelter side. And now they've parked at Fairhavens. It's kind of the middle. It's not a place that sailors wanted to be to winter. It just is a kind of a rundown kind of port. All right, where they really want to go is Phoenix. And it's in Arizona. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) It's right there at the tip there. They should have had that there. 
And for next service, I know that it'll appear because Spencer always is back there with his magic fingers there. So that's the idea there with um, uh, up to verse 8 in all of the traveling there. So, yeah. um, Now, uh, what I really love here is is that, here we go, um, when... They're sailing. Paul has, he's reminiscing, right? So he, he looks uh, to the right, as I said, and he's thinking about his whole life. And he's probably praying for his relatives on the right. And on the left, he imagines what happened on that first missionary journey some 20 years earlier. So as they're sailing through, that's what we do as we sail through. I was thinking we, we always sail through uh, 19th Avenue to get through the city. And we drive through, and on my left is UCSF, where I had a bone marrow transplant that 20 years ago that saved my life. And every once in a while, I'll look left, and I'll pray for people that I remember, and I'll thank God for his faithfulness. And then I turn right, and we'll pass where we used to live when the kids were little. And just reminiscing, praying, and thanking God. This is what's going on there. And at, as he... Uh, is looking at Cyprus. He's remembering the ministry there with that sorcerer who God struck uh, blind. You remember him? And he's like, where is he now? You know, praying for him, no doubt. The governor of uh, Cyprus who got healed. Where? How's he doing? And he's praying for him as well, probably. And Barnabas, his best friend, they had a parting of the ways because the leader made a decision that hurt Barnabas' feelings. And Barnabas stomped off angry and wrote himself out of the story because of his immaturity. Oh my goodness, you never hear from Barnabas again. But the leader, he continues on. The story follows, the work goes on. And so he's praying for Barnabas and the sorcerer and his mom and dad, if they're still alive, probably not, or his relatives, as he's sailing uh, through there. And so they, they get on that Egyptian freighter. And if, the, if this were a movie, uh, the suspense music would begin now. Verse 9. Verse 9, boom, boom, boom. Much time had been lost. Okay, do you feel the frustration of the crew? It's like time is money. And sailing had already become dangerous by now because it was after the fast. That's called Yom Kippur. And I'll talk about that. So Paul warned the men, (laughs) I can see that our voyage is going to be a disaster, (laughs) bringing great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, as much as he liked Paul, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable, it gives you the wrong idea here. It was unfavorable to them. They didn't want to be there. It wasn't like it was unsuitable because of some kind of condition. The majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix 40 miles, just 40 little miles. (laughs) We'll inch along the coast there, and we'll winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. Let's talk about this. So a word of wisdom from the Lord through Paul, which gets ignored, which happens today all the time. People ignore Paul. 
They did then, they do now. How you ignore Paul? Uh, he wrote 13 New Testament epistles. So when you ignore the epistle, you're ignoring Paul once again, who was writing through the power of the Holy Spirit. So ultimately, you're not just ignoring a godly man, you're ignoring the wisdom of a holy God who spoke and wrote through uh, that holy man. Lots of delays, verse 9, the weather's not cooperating. Uh, the window for safe travel is over. Uh, after the fast, Yom, Yom, Yom Kippur, Yom, day in Hebrew, Kippur, to cover, day of atonement. That's the only day God required the Jews to fast, and so they, they fast to this day. It's the highest holy day on the Jewish calendar. Uh, but that tells us it's the first week of October, and uh, the danger zone in the Mediterranean for sailing was uh, September 14th to uh, November 11. So they're, they're definitely in uh, a, not a good place. But the talk on the ship was, let's ignore conventional wisdom and the prophet of the Lord. They know who he is. They've heard all kinds of things. Uh, and, and perhaps Julius was at that very meeting with King Agrippa because it says the military men were there. He's heard Paul's testimony. He's heard the gospel. He likes Paul. But, uh, yeah, he, but he ignores him. Why? Because instead of listening to the man of God, he's listening to who? The captain, the owner of the vessel. And what is motivating the owner of the ship? Money. How'd y'all know that? <laughs> the first service screamed it out as well. And I have written down here, money, money, money. Time is money. Oh no, it doesn't matter it's dangerous. It doesn't matter that I could jeopardize somebody else's life and stuff and possessions and bring disaster. What's important here is me, myself, and I. And sadly, what does James 3.16 say? It says, where you find selfish ambition, there you will find chaos and every evil practice. Whoa. We just think I'm having a me moment. It's just like normal. Having a me moment can destroy your life and those around you. You all know that. We all, we all know people who had a me moment and boom. The kids are visiting every other week because they had a me moment, you know. So, yeah, they ignore him. And uh, that, that's what we do, though, when we see people ignoring God's word and acting foolishly. The Christian, in love, in humility, speaking the truth in love, will say, I perceive disasters coming. I perceive a disaster. Please turn from your way. The word turn means to repent. Just don't do this. That's your job. You, you know, sometimes it's not our business and you just kind of know it makes sense. It's, it's not, I, God doesn't give us the opportunity. We see it, but we don't have the opportunity. But many times we see it, we perceive it, and God says, speak. We must do so, even though nobody really likes to do that. Now, it's not like Paul doesn't have some experience on the open seas. Scholars say if you count missionary trip one, two, and three, you total up 3,500 miles 
on the open waters. How many shipwrecks, this Bible trivia question, ready? How many shipwrecks in Paul's ministry? Three, very good. He told his Corinthians friends, listen, I've been shipwrecked three times. A day and a half I spent adrift in the open waters. So what Paul is doing here is giving them a word from the Lord and trying to spare himself from shipwreck number four, right? <laughs> uh, uh, which isn't going to happen. He's going to add a f- now a fourth uh, shipwreck to his resume. And so, yeah, he's got experiential knowledge and he has an open channel to the Holy Spirit who's the best forecaster in the business. And uh, Julius is going to go with the money, money, money. And more importantly, scholars say they don't like Fairhavens. That Phoenix has nicer accommodations, better bars, and prettier women. That's what they say. And so they say, you know what? (laughs) It's just 40 miles, Paul. Calm down, preacher man. Calm down. It's and, And listen, it's only 40 miles. You can keep the coast inside. You won't go very far. You know, just let let us get to what we want, even though it's wrong. And then this happens. When a gentle south wind begins to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. Rock roll. So, sorry, Scooby-Doo gets a hold of me sometimes. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete, just creeping along before long, though. A wind of hurricane force called a northeaster cyclone swallows them up and swept down, and they go out to sea. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. Can I talk to you about the gentle south wind (laughs) that always seems to blow when we get our hearts and our our sinfulness set on doing something that lacks common sense and goes against the grain of the word of God. And here's what we do. We look for a sign from providence and the universe that opens the opportunity to do the thing that we are determined to do despite everything screaming in our head, don't do it. It's October. You don't sail even off the coast, hugging the coast. Don't do it. The advice of the man of God, the counsel of anybody who's ever been on the sea, all your experience, no, don't do it. And then the gentle south wind blows. And what is that? That is always the way it happens. It's like, you know, come on, you see, the universe is giving you a okay, it's a it's a high five. Go ahead. And, and they're glad. It, it, it's like the, the, not, the, the Christian young lady who's dating an unbeliever. And he goes to church. Oh, you see that gentle south breeze. You know, go further. Go further. Marry him. 
Marry him in darkness. He can't even say a prayer over his hamburger. And you love the Lord and you're going to have kids. And now what is going to happen? And I can't tell you how many times through the years, this is not in my notes, surprise, uh, (laughs) that I'm in the lobby and some woman is crying, pray for me. Pray for me. My husband doesn't love the Lord. He's not. He's an atheist. And he, he's mad about when I come to church. It's like, well, you know. And she goes, I know my parents told me, you know. But what happened? The gentle south wind came and said, see, he's turning. He's changing. It's all going to happen. I have a friend who doesn't go to this church. A former alcoholic. I don't know why that's funny that I have friends, but... <laughs> Is that so amazing? <laughs> uh, and uh, he is an alcoholic. He's recovered. And he wanted to get a job as a bouncer in a bar. I told him, no bueno. That's not good. And you know what he said? The gentle south breeze came and they hired me. They hired me. God opened a door. See, I'm in need. I prayed about it. I asked the Lord, if it's your will, God, open the door. Look, there's no such thing as a sign that tells you to do the wrong thing. Oh, my goodness. Why would God open a door again, but against everything he says in the book? Stop this madness. Amen? Amen. All right. So they think they're on their way. To the casino with the dancing ladies. <laughs> Verse 16. Before they, before they could say, should have listened to Paul. As we passed to the sheltered side of a small island called Cauda, which is Clauda today, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. Back in the day, the lifeboat trailed behind them, so they're pulling it in. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. I'll explain that. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering. Well, hello, Yes, indeed, a battering you didn't have to take, sir, from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo over. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle over, and here's a great thing to underline, with their own hands. I'll explain that. When neither sun nor stars, that's how they navigate, that's how they know. When it was, we couldn't tell if it's day or night, up or down, where we're going for many days How long is that? And the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Who? They gave up all hope? Or does Luke say, we gave up hope? It's we. He says we. For a reason. Because we give up hope sometimes when we're upside down I haven't seen we don't even know if it's day or night spiritually speaking it's just one long trial and nothing's making sense and everything's coming undone yeah we have our moments don't we we'll talk about this all hope lost if you need a heading for this little paragraph so 
Yeah, of course, as I've been saying, they wanted to play it safe. But listen, you can never play it safe when you're doing the wrong thing. So they're thinking, we'll just hug the coast, and then boom, it comes and pushes them out to sea. So yeah, verse 16, the skiff behind them is filling with water. And just notice that, that who's helping here? We. We had a hard time. Where are the guys? Watching everybody else do the work? No, that's not what Christian men do. Christian men don't just watch everybody else do the work all around them. They lend a hand. Note to self, in the storms of life, be helpful. You don't need to be in the belly of the boat praying at a time when you need to be practical and helpful. Where are the Christians? They're down below having a Bible study. (laughs) You like that one. Yeah, so, okay. They reinforced the hull with cables, but one writer said, stronger cables are to be found by listening to God's wisdom instead of pressing forward. And so we take out our Band-Aid. I'll fix this problem with the Band-Aid on a tumor. It's not going to work. And so, yeah, uh, God secures us. And God, people, God's people who are faithful walk in wisdom and obedience. So he fastens us cords of love fashioned in heaven cords and cables that cannot be broken. The Sirtis, well, the Sirtis are or sandbars off of the southwest of Crete, the north coast of Africa. The two bodies of water would collide and create a delta of sand underneath. They could never find where it was. And so what would happen is the King James calls it the quicksands of Serta. The ships would get stuck and they would die a slow, painful death with no food and no water because nobody could help them. They'd be stuck there or they would just drown and the ship would be destroyed. So they're, 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 they're terrorized. They know where they are. They can't see where they're going. They're out of control and, and that's just, just terrible. And they're being dragged along and I, I can't resist. The sermon illustrations are every other sentence, you know, being dragged. You did the wrong thing and now you're out of control and you can't stop it. You've dropped the anchor. It's not helping, but you're, quote, being dragged along. James says this, when you give way to your own sinful desires, you will be, quote, each person tempted when, uh, is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. You know, we blame the devil for everything. Uh, it's like, yeah, he does stuff. Well, we don't need him to help us destroy ourselves. So the battering is so intense, they throw the cargo overboard, which is the prophet. And a few days later, the tackle, which is the ship's equipment. Notice, with our own hands. Well, why does Luke say that? Well, usually you lose valuables due to circumstances uh, out of your control. Many of you had your house burned down in the famous fires, right? You didn't ask to lose the family heirlooms and pictures and, and beautiful prized possessions, something took it away from you. 
You wouldn't, with your own hands, reach into your wallet and roll down the window and throw out cash. You just wouldn't do that. You wouldn't dump your jewelry away somewhere. You wouldn't throw away your prized golf clubs, Pastor Dave, would you? Would you? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't take them to the dumps, right? <laughs> There's no way you would do that. Uh, well, yeah. Unless, of course, something more important is happening. And then you learn the lesson of the storm. What's truly important? Life, the people around you, and the condition of your soul. You don't think the Holy Spirit was in work in every single heart saying, nah. Interested? <laughs> Interested in what Paul has been saying this whole time? That's what he does when we're in a storm. He's refining you. He's drawing you. He's calling you. He's testing you. That's why it's called a trial. Because at the end of it, we'll find out, were you really a Christian? Or were you just a churchgoer? How nice. But the storm is in love. He allows it so that you can find these things out and, and be healed and put right. Amen? So it's day and night forever, or so it seems. They don't know. And here's the best sentence at all. And the angels burst into applause. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Everybody's like, the angels were like, yeah, let's do this. Why? Because it, it's not until we get to the end of our own road that we finally let go and God can toss you his lifeline. But man, oh man, it just sometimes takes a beating. You know what? I can imagine God saying, you know what, guys? If you would have said we finally gave up all hope two paragraphs ago, we, we could have shortened the whole many days part of the, the thing. But you know what? Stubbornness, a lot of people, we laugh about it. We say, you know, we're as stubborn as a donkey or a mule, whatever. And we laugh. Stubbornness with God is the greatest liability of your life. And he who has been corrected over many times and remains stiff-necked and stubborn, the Bible says, will be destroyed suddenly without remedy. That's an exact quote from the Bible. And I like to memorize things that <laughs> apply to my own stubbornness, you know, and so, yeah. So here we go. We got the guys... Where, just where they need to be. Um, God, you're my only hope. So while everyone in the storm uh, falls into a hopeless despair, it's time for the Christian to stand up and take charge. Here we go, 21. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stands up before them and says, Men, you should have taken my advice. <laughs> this is called, I told you so. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna walk up and say of everything you ever said. My favorite thing is when you said, "I told you so." Uh, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, whose I am. Wow, I belong to God who's greater than the storm, who made heaven and earth. I belong to him. I'm his precious possession. And he sent an angel 
and he stood beside me like arm around and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You, you must stand trial before Nero. <laughs> You're going to go talk and share the gospel with this famous man, this crazy man who wasn't quite crazy yet, but he got crazy for sure. And God has, oh, I love this, graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. That's what he knows here. So these guys are distraught. They're sick in their souls, right? Uh, hope deferred, Proverbs, makes the heart sick, and these guys are sick unto death. When, a Ro- when the Roman centurion loses hope and courage, when the three men of God are in despair, you know it's bad. We gave up hope. You know what? At the end of the day, Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus, guess what? They're human beings. They have human emotions. They have a, a fallen nature. They're imperfect men. And Paul had to be told once again, you do not tell somebody, don't have a, the word is phobia. Don't, don't give way to your phobia, Paul. Remember, God told you you're going to Rome, you're going to stand before Nero. He's going to come through for you for the win. Even Jesus felt fear. And you can argue with me, I don't know what you want to call uh, sweat drops of blood. <laughs> Something in Jesus' heart was upset. (laughs) He told his disciples, stay with me and pray one hour with me, for I am so sorrowful I could die. What's going on in his human? He's fully human, fully God. He emptied himself of his deity, never stopped being God, but he's doing this as a man. So yeah, we can be honest. And he was strengthened. I love the famous theologian John Wayne. Uh, <laughs> the actual star of old time country western films. He said, courage is feeling afraid and saddling up anyway. So it's not long before your perfect love and your faith, his perfect love, casts out all So in this paragraph, the 276 uh, cloistered together, somewhere they can hear each other uh, above the, the howling wind. And listen to me. In a storm, Christians are not the panickers. We're not the ones screaming out, we're all gonna die. Oh, this is terrible. The government and oh, no. No, we stand up and say, listen up. Heads up, it's written. We have hope. Take courage. Look to Jesus. We are not afforded the luxury of falling apart. You are not. You can fall apart in your bedroom on your knees before the Lord who's sympathetic and will send his angel to strengthen you. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, he does that. He sends angels to strengthen us. But you do not have the luxury of publicly falling apart and giving way like every other unbeliever and atheist who lives like there's no God in heaven. Do you want to live like that and sound like that? Because you're just like them. 
Jesus said, called us out and said, why are you acting like pagans running around worried about your clothes and your rent and your little bills? He goes, you're acting like people who don't have a father in heaven looking out for them. Stop worrying and stop acting like an atheist. Just behave the way you proclaim <laughs> and the things that you believe. So I got to talk about the tongue lashing. And because, you know, Paul can't resist. And because a, a sanctified, I told you so, is very useful. What does it do? It ties them back to their conscience, the Holy Spirit working, to remember the wisdom that came out of Paul's mouth, and then tie it together with the adversity and the pain and the fear and the terror of the consequences of sidestepping conventional and biblical wisdom. That's the lesson here. I told you so is important. You should have listened because you wouldn't be in this loss right now. Listen to the Proverbs with that I told you so. But since you refuse to wisdom, quoting Proverbs chapter 1, since you refuse to listen, when I called to you, wisdom speaking, not God, and no one paid attention when I stretched out my hand, since you disregarded all my advice, whoa, and didn't accept my rebuke, in turn, I will laugh when disaster strikes you. Wisdom, not God. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm. Whoa. When disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, I will say, I told you so. You don't want to get on the other end of a finger that's saying, I told you so. Amen? Amen. So in the moment when the gentle south wind is blowing, fast forward the tape. This is what I've done my whole life, and this is what I've told everybody around me for 40 years. When you are tempted to do something stupid, <laughs> ma'am, <laughs> fast forward the tape. Just fast forward it. Fast forward to getting caught, revealed, your sin will find you out. It's a spiritual law. The consequences, the pain, the shame, the agony you've caused everybody. Just fast forward the tape. That's all you have to do, and you'll go, ah. Uh, no thanks, gentle south wind. Keep on blowing. I'm staying with the Lord. Amen? Amen? Yeah, so, and one more thing. The God giving him, he says, and by the way, uh, don't be afraid, Paul. You've got an appointment, a divine appointment in Rome. But God has thrown this in. P.S. He's graciously given you all of these men. They're going to live through this as a gift to you. What does that mean? He's praying for them. He prays for them. He's, he knows some of their names, probably most of their names. And the angel says, God heard that. And he's going to, as a gift to you, and he tells them, you don't think they're all listening, that the reason you're going to live is God heard my prayer for you and said, as a favor to you, I'm going to let Julius live. Wow. That's pretty nice to know. That as we're praying for people in the storm of life who don't know God, that sometimes he says this, I'm going to spare them as a favor to you.
got a frog in my throat. Verse 27. On the 14th night, man, that, this is after many days, so don't think it's only been two weeks. It's been many days plus another two weeks. We're still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. Without, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took uh, sur- uh, soundings and found that they were 120 feet deep. Then a little later, uh, nearly 90 feet. And so, uh-oh. <laughs> Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, even though that's what Paul said, uh, dropped, they dropped four uh, other anchors and from the stern and prayed for daylight. Oh, <laughs> that's a good little phrase. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down, the one last one, into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these guys stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Wow. So the soldiers cut the ropes. Oh, now they're listening to Paul. Uh, Cut the ropes, yeah, that held the lifeboat. And it fell away. All right. So perilous times will bring out either the best or the worst in some people. And here it's the latter, isn't it? Cowardice, self-centeredness. If we're going to hit the rocks, there's one lifeboat. So the sailing crew, the sailors, want to save themselves. And so they pretend because they don't want anybody to know because there's limited capacity so they act like, oh, we're just lowering. So what are you guys doing over there? We're just lowering anchors, right? And so Paul gets a word from the Lord, you know, and he says, listen, unless the sailing crew stays, we'll all be lost, or you'll be lost at least. You can't be saved without the sailing crew. Whatever the sailing crew has to do to manipulate the boat right now is life and death. And so them thinking about themselves and just doing their own thing is amazing that it's going to put the ship in jeopardy. Now look at this. Paul could have said, well, you know, let them go. We have a promise from God. Ooh, no. The promises of God do not wipe out man's responsibility. He could have said, well, we've got a promise of God. Don't need a, oh no. You've got the sovereign promise of God and you've got your responsibility and somehow they work together, don't they, in some mysterious way. Julius is done doubting Paul and they jettison the only lifeboat back into the sea. Let's uh, get to almost finishing up here. 33, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Who's the leader on the boat? It's the Christian. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. If he said that to me, I would not be encouraged anymore. <laughs> I wouldn't find that like, 
Well, you know, or a little late for that promise. Uh, 35, after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks. He's like, I had a communion. He said, a home fellowship group. He's in chains. He's on a boat. They're all going down. And he's like, let's eat. And thanks God. And thank God. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged. Look at that. They love him. And ate some food themselves. Altogether, 276 souls on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea because they know that they are nearly um, there. So Paul's in charge, and so must you. Don't fall apart. Fall apart privately. You know what? During the last few years, we were in turbulent waters with the rest of the churches who wanted to remain open and preach the gospel. And we took a beating. We took a beating personally, physically, almost died on, on, an, on the... Uh, I was intubated, as you all know, for a week on life support. There was never panic, ever. And so many people talked to me and said, Pastor Ross, through that entire two years, every time we came in here, it was the gospel, church, praising God. Nobody was panicked. There was no uh, hold this caveat on all of these things and bringing up all the political things. You just stayed steady. All of you stayed steady brought peace through it. That's our job. That's our job, not to get up here and make you all crazy because we're talking about the balloon, the balloon. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I clicked on somebody and his opening words in a church is the balloon, and everybody laughs, and he talks about the balloon. Where is that in the Bible? How is that going to build us up? It's okay on a different venue, not on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day, we don't panic. We don't upset the sheep. We go dig into the Word of God. Men can't live by bread alone, and by politics and cable TV shows, <laughs> but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's what I'm talking about. Totally lost my place. Where am I? <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, yes, indeed, thrown into it. So he's in charge. That's the, He's a peacemaker, you know. And, and I like that he brings this up as a, he says, let's eat together. They've just gone through some treachery and betrayal. So look what he's doing. Let's come together. Everybody's resenting. How dare you? You're trying to escape. You guys just thinking about you. Paul says, let's eat. Let's come together. Let's eat. So what, what are we? We're the peacemakers. We're not the ones going, how dare you? We're not. We let love cover a multitude of sins. I mean, we expose things that need to get exposed for sure. But you know what I'm saying. Okay, let's finish up. Two more paragraphs and we're done. 39. When daylight came, they didn't recognize the lamb, but they saw a bay, it was Malta, <laughs> and it's called St. Paul's Bay to this day, <laughs> where, oh, that was a fun one. Did you hear you guys all went, ooh. <laughs> you could do that again sometime. 
Okay, ready? Where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Oh, I'm out of control. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground and kept going. The bow struck, stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken into pieces by the pounding surf, finishing up. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners, and that would be Paul, to prevent any of them from swimming away and costing them their lives. But the centurion, who really loves Paul, wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their wicked plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety, just like God said. Listen, one of the big lessons of this chapter is when God makes a promise, he keeps it. So, you know, I'm thinking of another storm. The Lord Jesus tells his disciples, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. There's ministry there. They get in the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee comes a hurricane. They panic. They rebuke God. They go crazy like a lot of Christians. And they start saying, don't you care? They say to the Lord of glory, don't you care that we're drowning? What are you doing down there asleep? Well, we're dying here, God. And he said, and why do you have such little faith? And he doesn't say this, but isn't he implying, didn't I tell you, let's get in the boat and go to the other side? So we get to the shore. You are going to get to the shore. So, so please stop acting like you're not. He said, I'm going to take you, whoever's born of God, will overcome the world. Do you know what that means? It means all the way until your, your last day, you will stand in the presence of God as a victor because he told you at your conversion, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and I will take them to the other side, to the shore. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, what an amazing chapter. Thank you for all the dramatic details that speak so many illustrations and truths to us. Were we to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand of the sea, as the psalmist talks about your thoughts toward us, God. We pray for a heart that can sort these things out and apply them. To hear them and be moved in the heat of the moment is one thing, God. We pray that we who are always tossed about with some kind of thing would take these words to heart, be comforted, strengthened, and at peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.